Please take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Luke's Gospel, chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, our text this morning will be verses 5 through 9 of this chapter. If we were to turn to Mark's parallel account of the events that are taking place here, we would find that Jesus is leaving the temple. And we remember we are in the context of the the week between Christ's triumphal entry and his and his suffering, his death and his resurrection at the end of the week. And actually, we're still on Tuesday, we're still the first part of the week. But Mark tells us that they are leaving the temple and one of the disciples in the mix there begins to marvel to Jesus about the wonderful stones and the buildings which they see there, in particular regard regarding the temple itself. And this is a this is a chorus that is picked up by some of the other disciples as well, which becomes apparent in Luke's gospel. It would be easy to imagine that there were those in the in the group with Jesus of his disciples who were envisioning Jesus being here in Jerusalem, being here in this glorious temple, setting up his kingdom right here in the middle of it all. And once again, Jesus addresses any such notions with his corrective word. And it comes to us even by way of a reminder, as he has already spoken with great detail of what will transpire in the city of Jerusalem. Back in Luke chapter 19, verses 43 and following, which we'll actually we'll be referencing in a few minutes. So begin reading with me in Luke chapter 21. Verses 5-9. And while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, Jesus said, As for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. They questioned Him, saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See to it that you are not misled. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear wars and disturbances, do not be terrified. For these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Well, there is certainly no shortage of interest regarding the end times in the modern evangelical church. No shortage of of predictions and expectations and teachings regarding Christ's return. And this is one thing that we do incidentally affirm altogether. Jesus Christ will return. Jesus Christ will return bodily. Jesus Christ will return and He will be seen. So we all, as those who embrace the essentials of the Christian faith, affirm that there is a time coming when Jesus Christ does literally return to the earth. We have an abundance of such things as prophecy conferences. We have countless books that are written. And now because of the modern day era in which we live, we've moved into the movies as a form of media. All giving 
varying views and intricate details about end times and last days. But there is an amazing diversity, in fact, regarding the details of what exactly is going to transpire in the last days. Now, I know that you've come today expecting me to answer all of those questions, and I assure you, I will not do that. <laughs> but I do, we do recognize that among conservative evangelical churches, that there's great diversity regarding the timing of the rapture. Will the church be raptured before the, this great tribulation? Will the church be raptured in the midst of a great tribulation? Will the church go through tribulation? Then the Christ returns. There the, the church is raptured to meet Christ in the air. And incidentally, we all do embrace a rapture. And the timing is, is the issue. I do believe that the church will be raptured. That we'll meet Christ in the air to return with Him. There are different views regarding the millennium. That thousand year reign. How exactly are we to, in, to understand that? And there's even diversity of opinions regarding the number of times that Jesus will return. Will He return once? Or will He return twice? A previous rapture in which or time return where the church is raptured and then returns again again i'm not here to resolve all those issues i have my views and my positions on most of those issues but all of those are not in concrete uh, some of those are somewhat fluid and many times i'm like uh, i'm like hearing a good argument i'm I've, i have I'm inclined to agree with the position that I've read most recently. Although I'm not quite that, that pliable and regarding end times and last things. Um, there is room there for looking at some of the specifics of different viewpoints and say, you know, there is a good point here to be considered. So what do we do here when we come to a text like this? And these few verses here, verses 5 through 9, we're, we're seeing this is more of an introduction to what Jesus is about to present in the rest of this chapter. And then we have the, the joy of going the next few Lord's Days, beginning in verse 10 and following. Look at some of the specifics and the details that he gives. The fact of the matter is the scriptures do speak of the last days. Jesus speaks of the last days and what we have got to do, what we must emphasize is recognize what is plainly taught in the Scriptures. What is very clear from the Scriptures. And so we want to look at these introductory truths here this morning when considering these things that are to come. The questions that the disciples here ask, how do we understand Luke chapter 21 and also the parallel accounts in Matthew chapter 23 and 24? Well, the first thing that we see here that Jesus identifies with, and it is a very clear truth for the church of all ages, is that there are days of trouble ahead. There are days of trouble ahead. It would have been quite normal for the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus again, to begin to imagine about the coming events. After all, they have been walking with Jesus they know without question His intended place of destination is Jerusalem. 
So Jesus has reached his destination. He has come and on his way here and in his triumphant entry into Jerusalem has made clear messianic claims. So they are there in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus is there. The Messiah is there in Jerusalem. And here they are awed by the imposing grandeur and the beauty of the temple. It would seem to some of them, it would certainly be reasonable to expect that in their thinking that all is now set. Everything's in place for the establishment of Israel with Jerusalem and the temple at the very heart of God's kingdom here on earth. Again, it has the appearance of things. But Jesus issues his wake up call in verse six. When he says, as for these things which you are looking at, you are standing in awe and wonder and gawking at this temple and all of its beauty and all of its splendor. And no doubt it is entering into your mind of this is it. The Messiah has come. The glorious temple is established. It's ready for him. Although, in fact, it wasn't completely done in Jesus day. And Jesus utters these words in verse 6. The things which you're looking at, the days will come in which there will not be one left, one stone upon another, which will not be torn down. The days will come, and Jesus says, that there will be a complete destruction. A complete destruction of this temple, which in fact reiterates the warning they had given back in Luke chapter 19. Luke 19 verses 43 and 44 as he's entering to Jerusalem. Back up to verse 41. He approached Jerusalem. He saw the city. He wept over it. If you had known this day, even you the things which make for peace. But now they have been hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. So again, Jesus is here in Luke chapter 21 for our text today. Reiterating that same theme that he has given to them in Luke 19 verses 43 and following. And here he uses what is apparently a, a hyperbole, a hyperbolic terminology. Because the fact of the matter is there was not, you can go and there are still stones stacked upon stones there. But his point was this, that this will no longer be a place that is useful or fit for worship. It's going to be destroyed. And certainly such a message to the hearers of Jesus would have been shocking. Wait a minute. We've got this figured out. We see now how everything's coming together. That Jesus, the Messiah, is coming into Jerusalem. And the temple is being rebuilt and restored to its great glory here. And in fact, it wasn't completely built or finished until just a few years before it was destroyed. In 70 A.D. Such detail and such expense made on the temple there. We see it. We see what God's doing here. And then Jesus 
says something like, this thing that you are seeing, this temple, it's going to be destroyed. Certainly the messianic hope would have been inclusive of the worship of God in His ordained place. And certainly if there were any place for the right worship of God, it would be the temple of Jerusalem. And even if you go to the Old Testament Scriptures, you read those texts that seem to imply that that's going to be the case. Psalm 110 verses 2 and 4, for example, speaks of the scepter, the mark of a king, the scepter of Zion, and Zion uh, terminology referring to Jerusalem. And there it speaks of this one who is ordained, this Messiah, to be a priest forever. Well, if there's a priest, then there must be a temple. A place to worship God. The Old Testament prophets, they so often will speak of Jerusalem's restoration. God's eternal rule. In fact, if you look just to the book of the Old Testament book of Zechariah, there would seem plenty of reason from reading through the book of Zechariah to think that God is going to establish His kingdom in Jerusalem with the temple being there. So it would not be an unwarranted conclusion by the disciples of Jesus' day to think, this is it. Christ has come. The Messiah has come. The temple is here. All is being made ready. We see what God's doing. It all fits together now. We've got it. And again, Jesus deems any such notions as erroneous or premature. Contrarily, Jesus tells them troubling days and events are going to come upon you. The destruction of the temple itself, an event that in the minds of so many that would be so devastating an event. That if something like that were to happen, that a person who had a misplaced or a misguided faith might very well be shaken to the core of their being and begin to doubt everything they've ever believed. So Jesus prepares them. He forewarns them. Do not think that the days of peace, at least as you have imagined it, have come. Do not be misguided by vain imaginings that see an end to all of your troubles by the removal and the conquest of Rome, being free from Roman rule, being, seeing God's kingdom set up in Jerusalem for the nation of Israel. All your troubles are over. Don't think that way. See, Jesus' arrival here is a crucial time of transition here. And by the things that he foretells here regarding the temple, we see that the worship of God becomes less geographical in its emphasis and more spiritual, which Jesus even says, doesn't he, to the woman at the well. When those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth, the Samaritan woman, she says, he says, well, we say, the Samaritans say that we worship God here. You say it should be worshipped there. Jesus says, that misses it all. 
It's not where you worship. It's how you worship. That there be the worship of the heart. And so this time of transition that Jesus introduces here by His coming where the destruction of the temple, it will, it will be gone. Again, less of an emphasis on the geography, but more of one upon the reality of one's worship. And certainly we can see parallels to such statements that Jesus would make to the disciples of His day in our own lives. Those times when we can evaluate and we can study and we can begin to look at how events are transpiring and we begin to think, you know, I'm beginning to see what God's doing here. There's nothing wrong with seeing what God is doing. The problem comes in when we look at what God is doing and then we think we've determined what He's about to do. That's where the problem comes in. Isn't it? They were witnessing what God was doing. Jesus Christ walking into Jerusalem as the Messiah. This is God's doing. The mistake was when they began to put all this stuff together and think, therefore, this is what God is about to do. How many times do we observe circumstances and therefore expect a result because we've looked and we've determined and we've analyzed and it does not happen? Anybody ever do that? Remember when I, when I went from seminary to Sedalia, Missouri in the church there, the pastor there and I, I came in as associate pastor of music and youth, uh, just the real excitement in our hearts that the Lord had brought the two of us together to labor, we had not known one another previously, but very quickly our hearts were knit together. Theologically, our, we were just of one mind on most every issue. And we just seemed like well, the Lord is about to establish a, a good, healthy, strong work here. We looked at some of the men in the church the Lord had brought in. You know, and here we had seen, this is what God's doing. You know what we did? So this is what God's about to do. You know what happened? Well, I came to Tennessee and Monty's and went somewhere else in Missouri. <laughs> it just didn't happen. You know, I had, we envisioned, we envisioned the Lord giving us multiple years together in ministry. You know, and I long for that to be in a place with a man of, of, of ministry and to labor for someone side by side for, for years. And Monty and I, we labored together for three years and it just, it just wasn't happening. With the things that we had thought, you know, we had it all figured out. And it just didn't come together. It's a reminder to us of the times, in times like that, that God's ways are not our ways, are they? We don't always have it exactly right. And we need to be careful when we start examining and looking at what God is doing and then making that quantum leap into, therefore, this is what God must is about to do. And also, this is a helper to, to remind us to maintain a proper perspective on troubles and trials of life in general. You know, for the disciples to hear of what was about to take place, that was not an easy road, was it? It's not an easy thing to hear. And the reality is the Christian life is not one of smooth sailing 
where every circumstance is predictable. Because, hey, I'm a Christian. I know what God's going to do. He's going to take care of me and everything's going to be fine. It's not that way, is it? If it is for you now, you just haven't been a Christian long enough. Stick around. It's not smooth sailing. There are the trials that come, the difficulties that come, and the surprises and the things that just seem to to knock us off of our spiritual feet. And my Christian experience, as short-lived as it is, I've come to see that there is only one predictable certainty. And that is this. God is faithful. That's it. We start trying to guess through the circumstances. Forget it. The only predictable certainty is God is faithful. And with that, God is faithful. Good. He's good. His ways are good. The path that He chooses for us is good. It accomplishes good in our lives. It does that work of sanctification, of making us more and more like Christ. But that's the only predictable certainty that we have in our Christian walk. We need not be thrown for a loop spiritually when what seems best and what seems appropriate and in our mind seems like this is what really ought to happen doesn't happen. God's ways are not our ways. And so we just have to be careful that when we start looking to what's coming just just heed what Jesus says here. Listen folks, days of trouble ahead. Hard days. Difficulties, things that you would look at and experiences you see others going through and you say, Lord, I hope I never have to go through that. And some of you will. Hard days. But God is good and God is faithful. That is for certain. And so when Jesus speaks of the destruction of the temple here, these disciples ever said, hey, it's not all peace and good things coming now. There's some hard days coming. There's some things that we're going to have, we'll have to wrestle with and try to figure out here and work through. Second thing that we need to know, considering things to come, that is this, that the deniers, deniers of truth abound. Deniers of truth abound here in verse 8. Jesus said, see to it that you are not misled for many will come. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, I am Christ. And the time is near. Do not go after them. So Jesus here continues his warning of false messengers. Those who are going to have errors in two ways. Number one, there's going to, their message is going to be erroneous. It's going to be false regarding their own identity. 
They're going to claim that they are the Christ coming, Jesus says, in my name, coming on the basis of Jesus' revelation of his truth. The fact of the matter is, Jesus said he would return. So they take that truth and they twist it and they distort it and they claim to be the returned Christ. They use Jesus' own message as the basis for their claim. But the other error of their message is the time. He says that they come and they say, the time is near. The time is near. Verse 8. Those who are supposed interpreters of end time events and signs, and they're wrong. And even Paul speaks of to the church of Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians Second Thessalonians chapter 2 about those who come saying that the day of the Lord has come already. Christ has returned. Don't go after them. Don't be deceived by that. And there he says that there are some things that take place first. It's not time. Don't look at the difficulty of the events. Don't be deceived by those who would come and say, He's here. I'm here. Christ has come. Or the time is near. It's imminent. Don't be deceived by that. There's an order of things to take place. And until those things take place, Christ will not, He cannot return. The day of the Lord does not come. So Jesus' counsel is to them, to the disciples here, do not go after them. You expect a flurry of self-appointed deceivers to make the outrageous claim of being the returned Christ and those who are perpetually claiming that the end of is near. And they have no basis for either claim. And it just brings it right into our modern day, doesn't it? How many false claims of men claiming to be the Christ? Even in my own lifetime... Those that I'm aware of. And then who knows how many there are that don't even, don't even get the, the news. You know, are there still, I guess there are still moonies running around out there. Claiming to be the Christ. These people pop up here and there. Every now there was an advertisement in the, in the New York Times newspaper some years back. The Christ has returned. Jesus says, don't go after them. Don't align yourself with them. Jesus tells us about His return. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Actually, the context of speaking of those who have died in Christ in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Listen to this. How do we know that, you know, Christ hasn't returned and maybe we've we missed him? You know, he's kind of in the corner of New York State or something. Or maybe somewhere in South Africa. He says, For the Lord Himself would descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
And so we shall always be with the Lord. If you get nothing else from this verse, get this. When Christ returns, it's going to be noisy. You're going to know it. There's a shout with the voice of the archangel. The trumpet of God, some trumpet-like sound is going to be heard. There'll be no surprises here. There's not going to be a sex in the world that gets it and the rest that don't. Then we are alive and remain. We'll be caught up with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Pretty sensational, isn't it? There'll be no no guessing. Is Christ return or not? Do I need to to listen to these guys? They, They claim to be Christ or not? Do I need to give them a hearing? No. Don't even give them a hearing. When Christ returns, every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth is going to know it. There'll be no question about it. And you don't have to put an advertisement in the newspaper to, to let it be known. Christ's return is a glorious event. And He will be revealed in all of His glory. More common in our day is certainly those self-proclaimed discerners of the times. Date setters. Now Christ is going to return. Here's the time. I know I've mentioned to you here back in 1988, the little book that was put out, 88 Reasons for Christ to Return in 1988. Then it didn't happen. They miscalculated. They came out with another one in 1989. 89 Reasons for Christ must return in 1989. <laughs> You had people who, who left jobs. I mean, this was, this was in, I use this word carefully, this was in some degree credible circles. You had sincere Christians who left their jobs. No need, man. The Lord's coming back in 88. We've got 88 biblical reasons that it must happen. Maybe, maybe we just missed it. No. Listen, heed the words of Jesus here. Don't go after them. Don't go after them. Don't be distracted. And the more dogmatic they are, the greater distance to be maintained. I want to be very careful here. Because there are people on... In time views that I have great respect for. And I receive them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I've got to be careful here that I don't begin to just vent. (laughs) Because I could. But I want us to learn to think biblically. And where the scripture is silent, we're silent. Where the scripture is unclear, we're at least not dogmatic. And to demonstrate a spirit of humility when it comes to understanding in times. Let me give you one little tidbit, which I'm still mulling on this. I'm going to share it with you and you can mull on it. But you look through the scriptures. Consistently, God's pattern, not always, not always, 
often, consistently through the scripture, you will find this order regarding prophetic fulfillment. Here's the order that you find in the scripture. First, first, the prophecy is fulfilled. Second, the prophecies are clearly understood. That's in a very important order. Because often in scriptures, you will find the prophecy is made. The first thing that comes is not a complete understanding of the prophecy. There's elements of mystery that are there. But the first thing that will come many times is that the prophecy is fulfilled. And when the prophecy is fulfilled, then you come with understanding. Particularly in those prophecies regarding Christ. How many of the Old Testament prophecies were regarding Christ, the Messiah, were clearly understood before Christ came? Some were, but some are really perplexing. But once you get beyond the fulfillment, that the prophecy has been fulfilled, Christ came, then we can look at those prophecies and say, Oh yeah, I understand that now. That's crystal clear now. Or much clearer anyway. So it's not unusual to go to the Scriptures and and find that God's order regarding prophecy is the fulfillment precedes understanding. And so much of the modern day prediction prognosticators, they want and they claim understanding before fulfillment. And that's a very dangerous thing. I mean, don't we all want to have understanding? Well, sure we do. Nothing wrong with that. But the fact of the matter is, you're going to find that much of the Scriptures that speak to those things that are going to take place in the future, they're not crystal clear. And once those things transpire, you'll look back and say, Whoa, yeah, I see that now. So what's the point here? It requires that we deal with great caution regarding last day's events. Because the fact of the matter is, we are all going to have some surprises. We are. And we need to beware of those self-appointed Self-designated, quote, prophecy experts. Prophecy experts. Who are blind to their own limitations. And they're insisting upon placing this thing in reverse order. As though they have full understanding of things. And become very dogmatic regarding such things. And the scriptural order so often is reversed. The fulfillment takes place, then the understanding. You say, well, if that's the case, why do we have these prophecies regarding end times? If we're not going to understand them until Christ comes, this is going to be over. What difference does it make? Because there are some general principles that we can glean regarding Christ's return. We can get the big picture pretty clear. It's when we get down to the details and specifics of things, we've got to be cautious. 
And if nothing else, the general principle that we get is this. Jesus wins. Right? And I'm glad to know that's there. Clear as a bell. But God has chosen to give to us revelations of things that were going to take place and we're not going to figure it all out. So if you can't keep these things in balance, take your prophecy books and your last day's videos and all this other stuff and just ditch it. Now, if you can look at that stuff and keep perspective, fine. I just don't have time for it. Just to recognize we're not going to get it all. I'm not interested in somebody speculating about it all. fact of the matter is there are many who are making false claims. Some claims are more destructive than others. And I say they're false just simply because they don't know. They don't know. And anyone who dares to go, for example, to the book of Revelation and write a book like the late great planet Earth, that's very presumptuous. So what are we to do? We are to set our hearts on following God through Christ by the Scriptures. There are going to be those who are deniers of truth. And they're going to abound. In His days, those who are claiming falsely to be to Christ, falsely that the time is imminent. Can Christ return any time? No, He can't. He can return only when those things that God has ordained must take place, take place. It's in His timetable. And He has revealed to us from the Scriptures that there are things to take place. Third, the third truth that we get from this introductory text is that there is the design of triumph is assured. The design of triumph is assured. You got to wonder, you know, sitting through this text, you know, Jesus is here talking to his disciples. They've been, they've been in Jerusalem, been in the temple. They've seen Jesus just silence. I mean, it's like Jesus taking control of the temple, hasn't he? He's cleansed it. He silenced all of his objectors, and you know, he just put them to silence. And they're they're awed at this building they're in. Here comes Jesus. You've got to wonder, well, where's the good news here? You know, he tells us there's these days of troubles that are coming. The temple's going to be destroyed. Oh, that's really inspiring. There are going to be those who are deniers of the truth. Where's the good stuff here? Where's something that we can be joyful in and rejoice in? Is there anything good here? Yes, there is. But, but, not as one might expect it. The reality is, as Jesus goes on here, is that there are going to be wars and disturbances, verses 10 and following. Continue by saying, nation rising its nation, kingdom its kingdom, earthquakes, plagues, famines, terrors. So Jesus says, not only are some of the circumstances like the temple being destroyed... 
so unimaginable that your spiritual foundation might be shaken. Not only will there be those deceivers who are going to rise up, bringing confusion and wreaking havoc, and you don't know who can I trust, who's right, who's wrong. Not only that, but it's just going to be as though the whole world itself is in turmoil by the deeds of men, war, and also by what we would refer to as natural disasters. It's like this thing's just falling apart. That sounds good, right? Where's the good stuff here? Well, the good news comes actually in verse 9. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first. There's good news. Isn't that good news? These things have got to happen. Oh, great. It's not just a possibility that these are going to happen. It's not just something that you could see in your lifetime. He says these things must happen. Where's the good news in that? Well, the good news is in that word must. It's what we call, in the, when we refer to the Scriptures, of a divine imperative. These things must take place. Why? Because there is a God who has so ordained it. There is a God that is in control of all these earthquakes, all these wars, all these uprisings, all these things that we look through, look to and remind of. These things must take place. Why must they take place? It's God's plan. How will they take place? God will see to it that they do. God is sovereign. That's the good news. It's His work. It's His plan. Yes, they take place first, but that's not the end. Christ does return. The good news of a sovereign God working all things after the counsel of His own will, for His own purpose, and for His glory, and for the good of His people. That's the good news. That things are not just haphazardly happened. Things have not just been left into themselves. The world has not been set spinning like a top and letting itself destruct. But there is a God who is in control here. God is dictating the course of history. God is dictating the events of history. And when it's all said and done, it's His work. It's His plan. So when you see the words there, these things must take place. It's just a reminder. Oh, God's in this. There's the good news. There's a design here. There's a design of God's triumph, of God's control, of God's victory being accomplished. Hence, verse 9, when you hear these wars and disturbances, don't be, don't be terrified. Don't be afraid. These things would be and ought to be terrifying with 
with a mind that has no understanding of God, no sense of the sovereignty of God. We see, you know, the world's about to jump into panic mode, aren't they? You know, a few years ago was the population explosion. You know, the next thing we're on now is, is this is a global warming caused by emissions and all this kind of stuff. What's the world's determined? Oh, we got to do something. We're killing ourselves. Well, by the grace of God, we won't. <laughs> That's His prerogative. But to live, don't be terrified by such things. God has designed His triumph, His plan, His work through these things. So let's find our rest in the sovereign hand of God who controls His world, who controls His creation. There is no assurance, believer. There is no assurance of a trouble-free painless life and most of us can identify with that can't we none of us have lived trouble free painless lives even as believers and there's no assurance of that but there is a full assurance of God's design of God's control in all circumstances God's love and God's care for his own people there is the design of God's triumph in the midst of what we would look at and glean. And glean. This, is, this is terrible. So how do we prepare for things to come? We rest confident in the things that we know are clearly taught in Scriptures. These things we know. Days of trouble are ahead. We know that. Paul speaks of the last days. How men will be lovers of themselves and haters of God. We know that there are going to be deniers of truth who will arise and they will abound. There are always going to be those that, that come up and claiming to be something of God and they are not. People of God, beware. People of God, be grounded in the Scriptures. And this we know, that there is a sovereign design of triumph that is assured to us. That things are not left to themselves. Things are not happening haphazardly. But God has said these things must happen, therefore they will. That's where we rest. We rest in the Scriptures. We don't rest in whether or not somebody's latest book has got it right or not. Because most likely, if they've given too much detail, they're wrong. So go where the Scripture goes. Be confident of what the Scripture clearly teaches. Free to speculate on some things. Fine, I make speculations on some things every now and then. But I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. Or beyond what is the clear teaching of Scripture. What is clear? That's where we rest. That is how we prepare for things to come. That is how Jesus prepared His disciples. Just want you to know, guys, the temple's coming down. Yeah, there's trouble coming. Just want you to know, guys, there are going to be those who are going to say that they're the Christ, the return to Christ's return. I just want you to know, guys, that there is a design in all that's taking place. It must happen. It must happen. 
It's God's design. May it be done. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you graciously do prepare us. Lord, if there's been anything today where I've misspoken or overspoken, I just ask that you would purge it from our minds. I want to be gracious toward those with whom I disagree. But Lord, we ask you to help us to be a biblical people. To rest confident in those things that are clear from Scripture. And Father, we thank you for the assurance that Christ returns victorious. And Lord, we pray that those would be the treasures of our heart. And that we might have the prayer on our lips, O Lord, come quickly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.